It's episode 36 of Have You Seen? And it's all about murder and fish. Welcome to uh, episode 36 of Have You Seen? I'm Tom Webb and uh, opposite me is Kieran LaFour. We're doing things backwards this week. We are indeed. Um, and we've got a bit I'm of... slightly a, out of sorts. Yeah. We, we've got a little bit of an announcement to make. Um, I'm pregnant! <laughs> due to... I'm not uh, pregnant. No. Um, due to uh, things out of our control, i.e. work and all sorts of other things, uh, Kieran and I have decided that from now on we're going to actually make the podcast fortnightly as opposed to weekly. Um, because we want to we want to keep it on a regular basis, uh, but we also want to keep it on a manageable regular basis. Yes. Um, and it looks like certainly for the foreseeable couple of months doing it weekly is going to be pretty much impossible. Yes. Um, so we're going to move to fortnightly, and we'll probably keep it that way. Uh, maybe if the mood takes us, we'll switch back to weekly or, or change it up but again. But yes, fortnightly makes it much more manageable, not just for us, but for uh, for listeners as well. We received a piece of feedback saying, yeah. uh, from somebody saying, you know, they want to... Uh, they like listening to the show and they want to watch all the films, but because it's weekly, they don't have time to watch all the films. Exactly. And you know what? I can relate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes it's not easy yeah. uh, squeezing in two movies a week. Absolutely. And, and you know, we have an advantage because we, ha- we each have lists that we know we can look for, stuff mm. the other hasn't seen, whereas we know that you, know, you listeners at home are, are basically hearing what movies to watch and then not having time to find them some yes. of the time. Um, so yeah, we we want to encourage more interaction and and get more people playing along with us, as it were. So yes, this should this should make things more manageable for everybody. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we hope everyone's happy with that decision, and uh, we hope more of you will join in and uh, watch the films along with us. Indeed. And if you find you you need a fix, you can always just go and download the back catalogue and listen to thirty five yeah. up other episodes of movie related yeah. whimsy. Absolutely. And occasional ranting and shouting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so. Murder and fish. Murder and fish. Let's Shall we start with the murder and move on to fish later? I think so. Okay. Yeah, let, let's let's start at the, the most serious, lowest point okay. and kind of go up. Okay. Do you want to recap the murder for us then, please? Okay. Um, so the movie I pitched to Kieran was Capote. Um, it's a true story depicting a f- uh, how somebody wrote a fictionalised event of a true story. Um, so it's all about In Cold Blood which was Truman Capote's groundbreaking novel uh, because it was kind of like a non-fiction novel which sounds like a weird it's a very difficult thing to describe when you read it that's exactly what it feels you're reading a novel but you know everything is fact Mm -hmm. Um, and you kind of when you read it you kind of think there must be a bit of artistic license here, or he couldn't have he couldn't have got that much information. But what you kind of what is kind of revealed in the film is the unprecedented access he had to the people involved, mm. um, which he didn't seem to have to do anything to get. No, no, he just, just it was goes, very. Relaxed. I'm writing. It was very relaxed. I think it, yeah. it even starts with I'm writing for the New Yorker. Yeah, and that's not a news publication. No, by but, any stretch. But he, I mean, I think he, uh, I think by that point he'd already written Breakfast at Tiffany's, and he was he was kind mm. of he was a very famous person, and he, I think it, he used that to gain access. Mm. You know, I, th- I think uh, you know people were just won over by him, mm. um, which which you kind of see in the film because I mean he's a 
He's a very kind of flamboyant homosexual. He's a small, effete man with a very odd voice. Strange, yeah. It sounds Mm. a bit like um, Droopy. Yes. Um, Yeah, he goes. I did mean to spend the last week perfecting my impersonation, (laughs) and I never got (laughs) around to it. You know, he he goes into the heart of uh, Arkansas, which is Kansas, different state. Okay, near enough. They're they're close to each other. Kansas. Just offended some Americans. I I always get them confused because you know it's only like two letters different. so, you know, Kansas and it's very kind of, you know, rural. Uh, you know, he, I think he was originally from the South. Um, yes. He's from Tennessee. He's from New Orleans. New Orleans. And he eventually got raised in Alabama. Right. Okay. So, uh, you know. That, but he's he, also every inch the New Yorker as exactly, well. Exactly, yeah. He's so a very he's kind, odd kind of uh, yeah, very unusual of man. things. Yeah. Yes. Um, so anyway, the actual murder that took place was on uh, November the 14th, 1959, and um, two guys wanted to rob a farm. And they got into the farmhouse and discovered that there was nothing for them to steal. And events transpired that they actually ended up killing the family uh, and then going on the run and were subsequently caught. And that's when kind of Capote comes to comes to town to kind of find out exactly what happened. Um so yeah, I've kind of made a bit of a, a meal and hash of trying to <laughs> trying to describe all of that. But uh, what did you think of it? Um, I started out really into it. Right. Um, I liked the very kind of bare bones nature of the script. Yeah. Um, very short scenes, just dispensing mm. the information. Yeah. Uh, and all the rest of it. Um, and then. I just slowly lost interest over the course of the movie. Right, I th- I think that's probably because, in, in reality, the story the the novel, the story of of the novel, if you like, mm. in Cold Blood, kind of builds to a bit more of a crescendo. Mm. But actually, the research of that novel kind of peters out. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of know what you mean. Yeah, um, they do try and emulate that crescendo in the film yeah. when. Um, uh, one of the murderers, Perry, he has a kind of pseudo flashback to the night when he finally fesses up to Capote. Yeah. Spoilers, by the way. When yeah. yeah, when he finally fesses up, yeah, um, you get to see what happens. Somewhat unnecessarily, I thought you get to see the yeah. murder. Um, I don't have many notes. I stopped writing notes uh, because I was just not paying attention to the film and started doing other things, which right, is the right. first film that's happened. Really? Yeah, that's interesting. It's very, it's very odd. I should like it, and mm. I, I really like the beginning. Right. Uh, my first note is that's probably the most understated discovery of a murder victim I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, to the point where I don't think it even needed the shot of the body. No. Um, and that was really. Uh, that was kind of really well done. Even mm. like the scene that follows immediately after is um, uh, is Capote at a party, mm. and that was full of completely realistic party dialogue. It was. I mean, he's just holding court, isn't yeah. he? And yeah. it, it, it sums up his character mm. within a couple of seconds. Yeah, and it's just yeah, it's really well yeah. done. Yeah, so all of that kind of initial setup was good. Yeah. I like Catherine Keener as, mm. as Harper Lee, yeah. and all of that kind of thing. I yeah. just it just completely ran out of steam for me. I really? couldn't. Uh, 20 minutes before the end, I contemplated turning it off. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Because I was just so bored. Right. Because uh, I guess by that point, you kind of know you kind of know everything you need to know. Yeah. About what's what's happened, mm. and, and you can kind of predict what's going to happen after that. Mostly, my biggest problem with uh, it's really difficult. The biggest problem is also the best thing about it. Right. 
Philip Seymour Hoffman's performance as Capote. Yeah. He's really, really good. Yeah. Uh, in actual fact, I did a little bit of research. He won 17 awards for this really? performance. Yeah. Uh. Um, but if we scroll down my notes, it gets to, um, uh, the, I think he might portray Capote a bit too well. Right. Because it's just a selfish dickbag. <laughs> right. Oh, he's only concerned with how the case affects him and his boy. Oh, absolutely. He doesn't yeah. care about the victims. No. And he doesn't care about the two, the two admittedly guilty men facing the noose. No, no. And But that, that's what he does. I mean, he manipulates them. He kind oh, of makes absolutely. Them, I mean, he, he goes in. To the I'm point of friend. almost perverting the course of justice. Yes, absolutely. Because he hires, a, he hires an appeal lawyer for them. Yeah. And if they had then been found not guilty. Yeah, he could have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I mean, the reason he hired the the appeal lawyers because by that point they to had to drag him out and stop him getting killed so well, he could get the ending to his book. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then he realised that by doing that, he'd actually he was actually stopping the ending that he needed because mm. to end his book, he effectively needed them to be executed. Mm. But um, he also needed them to admit to him yeah, that, that they had done it and they'd... tell them tell him exactly what had happened. Yeah. 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 So. It's a really good performance. Mm. I just didn't like the man he was portraying. Right, okay, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I don't care for the... F- uh, when he starts blubbing and crying and getting all mm. like introspective towards the end, it's like, I don't care for the feelings of a self-important intellectual. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he, I, I think he kind of has that kind of moment where he realises what he's doing. Mm. But by that point, you've kind of... You've lost your sympathy for him. Oh, absolutely. I lost... Uh, uh, a, we we can scroll back up a little bit. Uh, Capote is clearly just manipulating these men, Perry in particular, to get his material. Mm. Uh, by getting them an appeal lawyer and prolonging their time on death row, is he not perverting the course of justice? Yeah. Uh, and then underneath that, I've written, uh, his manipulations are most evident when he visits Perry just before he goes to visit yes. uh, Perry's sister. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they're in the, he's actually in the jail cell. Yeah. Yeah, this is it. Like they would actually just and let he, him. He pretty sit much there just says, and... he pretty much just says, well, if you're not giving me what I want, I'm off to see your sister. Yeah. And I thought that. I kind of thought that was just an idle threat. And then yeah. the next thing is him talking it's, to the sister. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't really have anything else. I don't really have anything right. else to say. I just... It didn't quite click. At the beginning, at the beginning, I, I kind of liked mm. uh, and enjoyed, but I kind of... I completely lost interest as the film mm. went on. Um, yeah. And as, as I... The more my interest waned the more my dislike for capote rose right okay um uh, i do have an i do, i was doing one of, at least one of the things i was doing while i was watching this mm. uh, was kind of research having a look and researching truman capote yeah he's played by philip seymour hoffman but i found a picture of him in 1959 right where he looks an awful lot like sam neill oh really yeah wow that would have been weird yeah no, I would not picture that him playing that. Mm. If I can find the picture, I'll stick it. Uh, yeah. I'll stick it on the blog. Interesting. Uh, but he looks a lot more like Sam Neill than he does Philip Seymour really? Hoffman. Really interesting. Mm. I, I mean, I, for me, I can I, I can see exactly what why you felt the way you did towards it. What, but what I like about it is the fact that, like you said, it's very understated in some ways, and it's quite mm. even even when its pace is kind of slow. I find it kind of engaging, but. And also because I don't it, have any problem with slow-paced films. No. We'll, we're going to talk about one later. Okay. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was mostly him I didn't like. Right. He's and it's because very, you didn't like him as a person. I think so. Interesting. Um, he's not that nice to the people. No, not him. at all. No. Um, and even to his best friend, it, it is admittedly after she leaves the room when he's getting drunk yeah. at the premiere for the. Uh, well, he's jealous. For To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. yeah. 
I mean, it's it's evident. You see, you know, he's he's bitching and catting about all of the the other writer, contemporary writers around mm. him who are getting great success, like Harper Lee. Mm. I mean, you know, uh, and you know, you can see that kind of seething jealousy. And then mm. you realise it's because he's so. That's why he is in this story. He knew that he was writing something completely different to mm. everybody else. Um, and you know, and again, I like it because I was fascinated by the book itself because mm. it's such an intriguing way to be presented with a true story. I think I might have preferred to have read the book. Yeah, I'd be, I mean, what I'd be interested in is if either A, you read the book or mm. B, you watched this again at another point. I did look to see if it was available for Kindle, but I wasn't prepared to pay six quid for an electronic yeah. book, so I might just borrow your copy. Yeah, sure, I'll, um, I'll dig it out. I'll tell you who I did like, uh, who um, who doesn't really get enough to do, I don't think, uh, was Bruce Greenwood, who plays um, Capote's partner. Yeah. He's really good. He is it's really a very good. small, understated role. He doesn't have an awful lot to do, but he's very mm. good at it. Yeah, and he... Um, this is full of good little performances, actually. Yeah. There's lots of great actors. I think Chris Cooper's it. great in it. Yeah. Um, and I think the guy that plays... Um, Although I did think he was possibly a little too accepting straight away of Capote. But his wife does kind of yeah. reveal that he is sort of a bit of a closet but, fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, I think that might be based you know, is based in fact. Yeah. Um, I think the guy, uh, Clifton Collins Jr. playing Perry Smith, I thought yeah. he was very good because he kind of, he, 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 Perry Smith is a very kind of interesting character in that he's got, he's obviously got an intelligence to him, but mm. his environment have basically turned him into what he is. Yeah, there's yeah. lots of bits of correspondence from him where he uses lots of, he uses lots of long words but not necessarily entirely correctly. Yeah, and also they're kind of, you know, it's like it's one, le- one kind of one long word every now and then. Yeah. but So he's kind of like, you know the intelligence is there, it just hasn't been educated and brought out. There was a bit um, when he's almost, um, he's trying to explain to Capote what, um, see now I've forgotten the word, <laughs> a particular word. Well, they have a conversation about it, don't they? Yeah. And, exacerbate. Yeah. Exacerbate. And it just put me in mind of Shaun, Shaun of the, the Dead. Dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think even when we, my wife and I were watching it to pitch, mm. I think when that, that bit happened. I did, I, was I did involuntarily Dead. laugh out loud at one section, right. which is where he goes to visit the uh, the sheriff's wife. Yeah. And walks into the kitchen, turns right, and there's just a jail cell yeah. in the kitchen. Yeah, I think that it's kind of, you kind of in a in a place where you've got all these hangovers from almost like the old west, if you like. You kind yeah. of like it's, it's, yeah, you know, it's a it's kind of a backwater place, mm. and uh, you know they've got these little you know the sheriff has a little cell in his kitchen because mm. that's kind of how it's always been, you know, and that, nothing's particularly modern in the sense that it is in the new york of the same period Mm. yeah um that's about it that's about all my feelings on capote really lots of very good performances yeah uh started well um drifted off kind of really yeah my attention waned i'm afraid Uh, no that's fair enough it's i think i can i can see i'm glad i've seen it yeah um i'm slightly disappointed I didn't enjoy it more. Right. Yeah, um, but Philip Seymour Hoffman deserved every single one of those awards. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Yeah. I think he's he's fantastic in this. Um I have one uh review from the internet. Not because it's particularly funny or insightful, uh, but it kind of um 
there's a little, little bit of it that kind of sums up how I felt really okay. when I found it. Um, it says technically flawless, clinically made. Sounds like a blueprint for a suspension bridge, but it could also dis- describe this movie, right, yeah. which I liked. Yeah. Um, and then just the the last line was uh, halfway through, it runs out of ideas. The plot stalls, and you simply watch it for completion. You don't enjoy it, mm. but feel obligated to watch because the cast is so good. And I read yeah. that, and I thought, yeah, that's about right. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I get that. I yeah. feel dis- I would feel disrespectful to people <laughs> who are on a recorded medium if yeah. I turned it off. Yeah. That's brilliant. Should we move to the fish portion of the Yeah, okay. Show? Yeah. Do you wanna do you wanna sum up Jiro Dreams of Sushi? I shall. Um this was uh, a documentary I found on Netflix. Uh for those who do not have the US version of Netflix. Uh it's coming to D V D in this country on January the thirteenth next year. Oh right, okay. I discovered today. Ah. Uh it's a documentary about a man called Jiro Ono. Uh he is as I said last week, he's eighty five years old and he looks a bit like a tortoise. Uh, he owns uh, what is commonly accepted as the world's best sushi restaurant. Uh, uh, it has 10 seats and three Michelin stars, and he seeks sushi perfection. Uh, and the documentary is about uh, Jiro, the restaurant, his sons, and that quest for, for perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked it. I pitched it because I watched it through, and I just felt nice at the end. It yeah. just leaves you with a, it left me with a nice feeling inside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I also think that... Um, Jiro's quite engaging is not quite quite the right word and charismatic's not quite the right no. word but there's something about him that you can't help but watch I yeah, think yeah I know um, what you mean but this isn't for me to say why no. what I thought of the film uh, this is uh, Tom's forum for him to say what he thought of the film so uh, tell me your thoughts on sushi yeah no I really enjoyed it um, what I found interesting was that he kind of had there's kind of um, almost two stereotypes in the same body He's very much like a real creative artist, mm-hmm. but he seems bound up in a very traditional Japanese work ethic. Yes, yes, very much so. And and that I think is the key to his success and to his because not I mean he's got that flair and creation, but it's so focused and bound and regimented. Art and devotion all in one. Yeah, yeah. that it become that it becomes, you know, he, that's why he's the best in the world because, you know, not only can he take that amazing creation uh, and artistic ability but he can funnel it in exactly the right way. Mm. Um which, you know, is not necessarily something that people who have that creative ability yeah. ne- don't necessarily have the other kind of regimented very mm. uh, almost serious aspect to it he does he does say that you know uh, it's mentioned in the film and i think we mentioned last week that he uh he hates not working yeah he gets he gets bored if there's a, like a yeah. national holiday and he has to close the restaurant yeah um he uh um was it a, was it a funeral yeah that he went to the funeral in the morning came in, in the afternoon and started started, working yeah. yeah yeah um I, d- I do have to say the the raw fish did still make me feel a little bit sick. Really, looking at all the raw fish, yeah. Oh dear. Yeah, I'm not. It's not. It's yeah. Well, even even when it's finished and presented, and it looks beautiful on the plate in front of the the customer. A little bit, yeah. Really, yeah. I don't know what it's it, not all a, fish. No, there's a bit where a guy's trying to wrestle a, a bit giant ca- egg thing yeah, with yeah. five chopsticks and turn <laughs> yeah, it over yeah. in a square pan. Um, but what I do like is that. There is absolutely no compromise on the ingredients. 
No. The I, best. I mean, yeah, has, and it, yeah. You know, to the point where they'll have stuff and they'll taste it in the morning of the of the day it's going to be cooked. If it's not good enough in the bin, where's the next batch? Yeah. And, and it, that's why the restaurant has three Michelin stars. Mm. It might not be the greatest business sense, mm. but then you have the astronomical prices to compensate for that. And because it's a three yeah, mission yeah. three star thing, they can afford they can charge those prices. So that's one thing that that slight, you know I'm not I'm not I don't have a business mind at all. No, but there were lots of things that that you watch in this movie, thinking, wow, if you went into this with a really business mind and tried to work out the the financial plan, mm. you'd just have to throw it out the window because <laughs> like I mean people are just like like no that's no good and uh, the fishmongers are just like well we're very picky about who we sell to mm. and it's just like well, you know so if someone came over with a fistful of cash you'd turn them away yeah. if you didn't think yeah it's like the, the rice guy who says he turned down uh, yeah higher yeah yeah and it's like it's like well how, how do you make a living mm. uh, i mean I, I guess some of that mentality if everyone's doing that then i guess you get to the point where mm people are willing to pay you that much mm. money if if you're like-minded and it yeah. it just seemed incredible to me that in a it's in an a, odd kind of parallel economy yeah and especially in a company in a, in a country that is effectively a, a massive capitalist state run by corporations mm. you know cuz that that just that really kind of intrigued me as to how all that worked um which is strange cuz i'm not really interested in that Businessy kind of thing, and in <laughs> you everyday life, about fish and start thinking. Yeah, about I was just like, "Well, how does that work?" Um, what What I found really amazing is that lots of there's lots of passion mm. that goes into this food, but you don't see it because it's it's repressed yeah. in a way. And then the eating experience seems really weird. Mm. You've got the ten seats. You're basically given a given you a little bit of sushi on your plate and mm -hmm. you eat it and that's it and almost everyone that's every customer that's interviewed say they're really nervous when they go mm. and i just can't think, i don't think that it seems like no one seems to although the food is amazing it seems that weird that people aren't relaxed and enjoying it when they're eating it yeah which i i mean i think the really only guy weird. who seems to really enjoy it is yamamoto exactly. the restaurant critic. Yeah, yeah yeah and even then like when you first see him he's sitting there and he looks like his hands are shaking as he goes <laughs> to pick up the first bit of sushi and mm. you're like i yeah well, you know i think i think if i go out for a meal with friends it's nice relaxed you know yeah. conversation all that kind of stuff and it seems really weird i think in this place, you are only going to experience the food. Well, I know. To have it cooked by this master. Yeah. And this master who is very generous uh, with uh, with the credit for the food. He, he is, says actually. towards the end, yeah. you know, by the time it gets to me, I'm pretty much just putting stuff together that's already been prepared. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, you know, they've but done 95%, put, I think yeah, he yeah. says. Yeah, but he also says that the people don't care about that bit. No. They come, they come because he's there. Yeah, uh, and and he he also kind of says, but then I guess I have cooked it because I trained them. Yeah, so he, it's kind of like you know when you do go, you get the ex you get the experience of the food that he's created. Mm. Although he hasn't physically done it, mm. he has created those dishes and he has taught the people how to prepare it. Mm. But you know all the stuff you know people training for like 10 years just to cook a egg flan yeah and all that kind of stuff is i do want to try that egg flan it that did look quite egg, yeah, yeah it, it did look good. kind of weird like omelette that to be honest that was the only thing that i thought <laughs> i wonder what that tastes like i uh uh as i mentioned i i really like sushi uh yeah it did the, the raw fish bit of it the works yeah. um 
and I want to try everything uh, in that film. Yeah, it was a bit like... I can't afford to, no. but um, yeah, I, I got really hungry when yeah. I finished watching it. I think if you ever get the opportunity to go back to Japan, you have to save up to go there. Yeah, it's a lot of money to go in. As I said uh, last week, I've walked past it half a dozen times yeah. and not known it. As soon as they show they show the shot at the beginning going down into Ginza yeah. Station, and it's like, I've been down there, and then they show it in the passageway. It's like, I've walked past that. I remember <laughs> that. Yeah. Uh, I think I had... Uh, I was on my way to the dentist there at the time, so right. I probably wouldn't want them to stop it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Did you, um, when, I think his name's Mazatani, the guy who used to work yes. for... Yeah. When, he, when it is revealed that um, uh, Yoshikazu, the older son, is 50 and he is 62, did you go, yeah. what? Yeah, that was a bit like... Because neither of them look it, do yeah, they? No, it was like, what? Huh? Yeah. Hang on a minute. And then you think, then you remember, oh, hang on. The main subject of this documentary is 85 years old. Yeah, yeah. And he's moving around, looks 65, yeah. moves like 45. Yeah, he's so sprightly and, yeah. you know, energetic. Yeah. I guess that's all the raw fish, I suppose. All the See, protein. That's, what it, that's what it does for you. Yeah. Um, I have to say, he's, he has a very sink or swim approach to parenting. Yes, he does. It's, but that's from his experience. Yeah, he absolutely, says, you know, he yeah. was effectively kicked out of his home at nine years old. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. It's like it, you, you watch him with his children and, mm. and you can kind of see, that, you know, there is affection and love there on, mm. on a level that's very hidden. Mm. But, you know, it is pretty much like, well, uh, you're going to do this, you do that. And, you know, like he kicked his youngest son out and said, go and start your own restaurant. Yeah, and he he goes off and does his his restaurant, and then the eldest son is still there, and I was kind of like, well, I think there's a point where someone asks the eldest son, mm. I, I, "Were you jealous of him going off?" And he was like, "No, because my job is to my job is to continue my father's work." Yeah, um, so they both kind of have this because I think he's the he's the one I feel most sorry for out of the whole situation because he's obviously a brilliant sushi chef in his own right. Mm -hmm. And there's a line in it where Yamamoto says, uh, it's rumoured that when the Michelin people first issued the stars, their sushi wasn't cooked by Jiro. Yes, it was cooked yeah. by the sun. Yeah. Uh, and you kind of think that he, no matter what he does, he'll always be in the shadow of his father, which mm. is sad, I think. They do mention that he has a, he has the potential to eclipse his father. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but if I think, he doesn't end up going into car racing. Yes, yeah, it <laughs> would be an F1 racer. But, the, uh, but his other son, the younger son, has got his own restaurant, which you kind of think, well, that might give him a bit more freedom to yeah. blossom. Yeah. You know? So it'd be, you know, I think it would be interesting to see what would, what would happen after... Uh, Jiro has gone, yeah, and how the eldest son kind of evolves it. Whether he tries to create anything of, it, mm. of his own. Um, what I did notice and like uh, is when they go back to um, Jiro's old hometown, yeah, and uh, Jiro and Yoshikazu st almost stop being father and son and become two naughty schoolboys yeah. when they go to the temple. So yeah. You're not supposed to clap in the temple; someone will hear us, <laughs> yeah. and yeah. that kind of thing. And he yeah. talks about how he used to be a right little bastard in school. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, there was another thing about the meal, because uh, I mean, it's worth talking about. There's a little section. Uh, you have 10 people in this restaurant, 
and you'll get was it twenty pieces of sushi? Twenty pieces, yeah. Twenty pieces, um, and it, and it's which is a lot as far as pieces of sushi go. Oh yeah, yeah, um, and they're pretty big as well. Yeah. I noticed. So um, you, you're getting your money's worth, I guess. Yeah. So if you can afford to go there, you get your money's worth. Yeah, and uh, Yamamoto compares it to uh, classical music in yeah. three movements, and mm. he explains how the dishes are complementary, and it's something that Jiro has worked very hard on, is mm. that the, the way the flavours build and, and ebb and flow across mm. the, the courses of the meals. Um, and I just found that it was kind of really interesting, the, the, the level of detail that went into that. But mm. then you see him... You effectively see some customers having their meal, and Yamamoto points out that Jiro is aware if customers are left or right-handed mm-hmm. and places the sushi accordingly on their plates. Mm. Uh, he accounts for body type and gender. Gender. He, make, he makes women's sushi slightly smaller, yeah, so that everybody if, finishes at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's all that kind of stuff. Mm. That I think it's really intriguing. Mm. Um, but one of the things that I kind of walked away from this documentary thinking was I never, ever, ever, ever want to be a, an octopus massager. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that looked like the most horrific job. Because, <laughs> you know, he's, they're like, you know, if you buy octopus, it's always really rubbery. So they massage it for an hour before it's used. Yeah. And it's just this guy with a bowl, some gunk and an octopus. An octopus. And he's just kneading it. And yeah. it's just like, oh. God. That's after another man has had to fight it into a plastic bag. <laughs> yeah. not, that's just such a short scene. Yeah, but, he, but the octopus is going, no, bugger this, and trying yeah. to climb up his arm and, and get just away. pulling the suckers yeah. off his arm. Yeah. And, oh, God, yeah. But no, overall, I, I really enjoyed it. I, found, I think it's, it's a fascinating documentary. Mm. Um, again, like... I, I, th- I think I can. I think you probably would have enjoyed it on another level to me because you enjoy sushi. Mm. Um, I think if this had been about a particular type of food that I like, I could have yeah got into it more. Uh, but Jiro def- dreams of lasagna. Or, I don't know. I, no, well, I don't know. I Jiro dreams of active fried chips. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I think it's definitely worth a watch because it's very fascinating. Um, but what <laughs> I couldn't work out is I finished watching it and mm. Netflix did the old. Oh now you should watch such and such a couple of documentaries, and the last thing it recommended was Twin Peaks, <laughs> and I was just like, "What? Okay, I I don't remember any kind of weird." Carl McLachlan dreams of midget. <laughs> yeah, exactly, completely yeah. different. Yeah, so that that kind of weirded you can't me out. Serve a bit them at the on end. rice. No. Uh, yeah, so I recommend watching it. Very good. It's just uh, getting hold of it in this country. Is absolutely be, uh... yeah yeah. Well, when it comes out on DVD, yeah, pe- people should hunt it down. Indeed. Um, I am attempting to access the correct program on my iPad uh, so I can read. There is, <laughs> it's not out yet right. to buy this film, but there is a review on Amazon. Right. There's a five star review, and mostly it just recaps what happens. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, but the, I like the headline, which was Should one gently massage an octopus for 30 minutes or 45? Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, just towards the end, it says, uh, for Mr. Ono's interests beyond sushi, he seems not to have any. Sushi has been his life to perfect the art and craft of taking a few simple but perfect ingredients and making them into something complex and subtle. Is the man to be admired? Absolutely. Is the man odd? Absolutely. <laughs> One thing for sure, Mr. Ono would never, never allow a piece of cream cheese or an avocado in his kitchen. <laughs> Which are frequently ingredients in cheap sushi. I, I, I can't imagine... I mean, I think you and I, in our chosen profession, are, even within it, are kind of jacks of all trades. Really, mm. um, I can't imagine like 
studying and doing something to that level for that long. No, like the guy who makes the egg, egg flan says, you know, yeah. he did, he, uh, he effectively threw away 199 attempts. Yeah, before they said, yeah, that one's all right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, ju- I just can't, you know, I, ju- I really can't imagine it. I can't imagine just putting everything absolutely, it might mm. be like your entire life into one thing mm. like that. Well, I'll tell you something I, uh, I, I really did, uh, like, I found interesting was that even at his advanced age, Juro uh, mm. still has goals, aspirations, and idols. There's a particular yeah. French chef who he, uh, right, he yeah. idolises. Yeah, yeah, because of his palate and yeah. uh, sense of smell. Yeah. Yeah, it's that that was interesting, actually. Mm. Yeah. Pitches? Yeah, should we move on to those? All right, toss a coin. Who's going to go first? Um, You go first. All right. Um, I am going to pitch to you a film... I watched for the first time about four days ago. Okay. Um, I'm going to do the same a bit later. Oh, good. Well, new experience for all. Mm -hmm. Uh, The film is Local Hero. Right. uh, Written and directed by Bill Forsyth, who uh, made Gregory's Girl. Right. And unfortunately, Gregory's Two Girls. Right. uh, In 1983. uh, And produced by David Putnam. Okay. Um, Lord Putnam, is he? Lord Putnam, yes. uh, With whom we have had interactions. (laughs) Yes. Um, an acquisitions representative from a large Texan oil company is sent along with a colleague from the Aberdeen office to buy a, to buy a sleepy remote Scottish village. Right. Uh, uh, deal done? No. no. Uh, unfortunately, they haven't faxed in the shrewd village accountant or the innate charms of the village itself. Right. Okay. There we go. That's it. That's the. That's, okay. There's your synopsis. So a big corporation comes to buy a small village. Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, it's um, who's in it? Uh, the main guy is a guy called Mac, uh, played by Peter Regat, whose only really big credit is Animal House. Okay. Um, uh, he's the rep, and he's sent. He, he is sent uh, by his boss, who's played by Burt Lancaster. <laughs> wow. Um, chiefly because his name sounds a bit Scottish. His surname is McIntyre, which is actually an Irish name. <laughs> but because his name sounds a bit Scottish, and he he kind of sort he doesn't deny this and sort of plays along with it and claims to have a bit of Scottish ancestry. Right. Gets gets sent to do the deal. Yeah. The guy from Aberdeen, Aberdeen he hooks up with is Peter Capaldi, uh-huh. uh, who plays Danny Oldson. Uh, and this is as Peter Capaldi looking young and as far removed from Malcolm Tucker in the thick of it as it's possible to be. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, Dennis Lawson. Yeah, has a a, a major role. Mm-hmm. Um, Jenny Seagrove is Oldson's love interest, as in uh, she is uh, the girl he is interested in loving. Right. Uh, and as I mentioned, Burt Lancaster uh, plays a man called Happer, who's the CEO of the oil company. Right. Um, you'll have to forgive some pretty horrible Mark Knopfler music. Right. Uh, okay. But uh, you already know the main. You've already heard the main theme. You just don't know it. All right. You will recognise it the moment it plays. Really. Okay. Um, it's low key. It's gently paced yeah. uh, and downright charming, to okay. be honest. Um, it's comedy. Right. It's funny. Okay. Um, I'm doing a very bad job of pitching it. <laughs> There's a rabbit. You'll like that. Okay. Excellent. Um, there are some really good running jokes. Okay. Some very subtle. Some not so subtle. Right. Uh, particularly, um, uh, the one involving the village dirt biker, right. who keeps cropping up. Uh, and the um, Burt Lancaster's therapist, right. <laughs> uh, which is which is uh, less subtle, but I think just gets funnier and funnier throughout <laughs> the film. Um, and there is one unexpected, 
slightly out of place, but just made me roar with laughter for no apparent reason, piece of slapstick. Right. That's yeah. often the best it's kind. It's entirely though. unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they do it anyway. Right. Uh, and it just made me laugh. Um, I don't think I've ever heard of this film. You've never heard of it? I don't think so. I mean, the title kind of rings a bell, but mm. like the, 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 what you're describing, nothing. Mm. Okay. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure if I've ever seen it. Well, I don't know if I've seen it, but I don't know if I've ever heard of it. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Well, it sounds good. Great. Even, even through my terrible pitch, apparently <laughs> it sounds good. Um, yeah, I uh, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I'm doing this really badly. I don't know what's wrong with me. This perhaps I haven't had enough ginger beer. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Um, it took me by surprise how much I enjoyed it. Actually, much like Zero Dreams of Sushi, as I said, yeah. it's it's gentle, it's slow yeah. paced, that, it's charming. That, that might be why just you're having trouble pitching it. If it's because I find that sometimes when we're pitching a movie, it's just kind of gentle, nice movie. Yeah. Once you say that, you kind of like, oh, yeah, it's just that, and it's it's very difficult to describe that sort of film. Yeah. So I, I kind of I can I know where you're coming from. Yes. With it, so yeah, I'll be, I'll be interested to see it. Excellent. Good. Um, should I blunder on any further, or should we just uh, no, no, that's li- cool. Well, please take over. I can I can pitch her. you the film that uh, I'm going to pitch, which I haven't I hadn't seen at all until a couple of days ago um but it's been on my list of ones that i've been meaning to watch for probably i don't know 12 13 years well my copy of local hero yeah. uh came free on the front of a newspaper at least seven years ago wow. and i've never got around to watching wow. it until four days ago right well i'm gonna pitch you another hitchcock film okay um and like i say, i'd never seen it until like a couple of days ago. I can't leave many. No, and it, it's it's actually one of the more famous ones. It's uh, The Lady Vanishes. Okay. Um, which See, is, I only know the title. Yeah. Um, the, the Lady Vanishes and The 39 Steps are probably the two most well-known and most famous of Hitchcock's UK-based movies. And I've not seen either of them. Uh, I know. I will pitch you The 39 Steps at some point as well because that is also brilliant. Because I've had that on my DVR for over a year. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it twice I recorded it twice because I couldn't remember <laughs> if I already recorded it. Um, Francois Truffaut, who is a avid lover of Hitchcock's movies, mm. uh, cited this as his favourite mm-hmm. and also the best representation of Hitchcock's work. Okay, I can't. I don't trust the French. I I agree and disagree with it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a very good representation of his work because it's a pretty much a ninety-minute film. And each 30 minutes is a very different genre. Okay. The first half an hour is really funny. Mm. The middle half an hour is really slightly creepy. Mm. Um, and then the third part is a real th- like proper thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it seamlessly evolves from one to the other. Mm. Um, but it's, but it, it's, it kind of evolves, but it's quite you'll know it when it changes mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. Um, the basic premise is there's uh, a made-up country somewhere in the Balkans, uh, and there's a load of stereotypical British uh, British people abroad mm-hmm. trying to get home, and they've all got to get on a train. Um, there's a young woman who's going back to a marriage that she's, or going back to get married to someone she's not. You know, oh, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like, I suppose I'll learn to love him. You know, kind of a society marriage. Yeah. Um, there's a musician, 
uh, who's kind of a, a bit of a cad. Uh, there's uh, Caldicott and Charters, who are these two guys, and all they care about is getting back to watch the rest of the test match. Okay. And they are they are the the comic relief. Mm-hmm. They they were so popular that those characters were then integrated into other movies, not necessarily Hitchcock movies, just other films. And I think <laughs> even as late as the eighties, there was a mini series about those characters. Really? Yeah. Wow. And then there is the lady. Who um, I would presume vanishes at some point. Who is uh, she's a governess, who the young woman played by Margaret Lockwood befriends, because they're they're in a rush to get uh, get on the the train and they kind of befriend each other and start talking, and then halfway through the train journey, when the train hasn't stopped anywhere, the older lady disappears, hmm. and the younger lady has to try to figure out what's happened. That's kind of a crap alternative title. Yeah, the older lady, the lady disappears. disappears. Yeah. Um, we'll probably find out that's what it was called in Japan. Or something. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I was uh, when I put this on, I, I expected it to be kind of a straightish Hitchcock thriller, mm-hmm. um, and I, again, I was surprised at how entertaining and funny it is at the beginning, and I was surprised at the twists and turns that it takes. Um, and there are some, there are parts of it. You, in a way, there are there are each of those three aspects of the movie could have made a 90 minute movie in its own right okay but it's actually fused together like this makes it quite interesting i think Mm. um so hopefully you will laugh at it you'll be engaged by it and you'll find bits of it slightly unnerving and you know well we thought that about buckaroo Bunside, didn't we yeah that's that's true but you're you're just wrong about that Mm. (laughs) i think not (laughs) yeah so that's it really lady vanishes 1938 Okie dokie. Well, we're done, aren't we? I think we are, yeah. Okay, good. Excellent. It's a short one this week. Yeah. Much shorter than the room podcast. Um, We should do the usual round of uh, methods of communication. Uh, We are on Twitter, at HYS Podcast, if you want to send us any missives of 140 characters or less. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are on Facebook. You can like us on there uh, and send us longer missives in comments. Uh, that is facebook.com slash have you seen podcast we have a blog uh, which mostly just uh, exists as a repository for for podcasts because uh, we don't have time to update it uh, mm. although I am working on something but I haven't had a chance to upload yet Ooh. so I will do that soon that sounds uh, intriguing it's not that intriguing oh, okay. uh, and if I you was want trying to, to build us- a bit of mystery oh yeah Ooh, mystery. <laughs> cocky and mystery uh I've forgotten where I've got to now. Oh, yeah, email. We have yeah. an email address. It's podcast at haveyouseen.net, and you can use that to send us uh, longer thoughts on uh, films that we've covered yeah. that you have seen, or if you've got something you'd quite like to pitch us. Yeah, uh, that'd be good, actually. You can yeah. do that. You can send us about roughly a side of A4. Yeah. Seems to be about right, the yeah, ones we've done so far. Yeah, from absolutely. Yeah. Listeners. And if you yeah. have any other kind of feedback or whatnot. Yeah, let us know. Keep it to yourself. Oh, I mean, <laughs> let us know, yeah. Um. We would, as always, like to thank Upbeat Productions for the use of the studio uh, and Alexi Imam for his technical expertise and assistance. Absolutely. And I guess we'll be back in approximately two weeks. Thereabouts, yes. Yeah. So um, you have two weeks to hunt out local hero. If you yeah. two got a free copy on the front of The Guardian that you haven't watched yet, uh, <laughs> now, is the time, <laughs> now is the time to put it in your DVD player. Yeah. Uh, uh, the Lady Vanishes is probably quite readily available. And there we go. I mean, it's probably one of those Hitchcock movies you can pick up for like less than a fiver, I would think, on DVD. There we go. Go and do those things. Absolutely. That's your, that's your homework for two weeks' time <laughs> yeah. uh, when class will be in session. 
I'm str- I've stretched this metaphor as far as it will go. I so think, yeah, I think we're going to uh, we should pack up. All right. We shall see you in two weeks. Goodbye. Goodbye.